The Old Testament reading for this, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Amos, the fifth chapter. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate, that it it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the third chapter. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the tenth chapter. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. The rich young man came to Jesus with two things, faith and a question. He was not like the Pharisees that Jesus had just encountered who were trying to trap Jesus in a gotcha moment. He comes to Jesus, kneels before him, confesses Jesus as good, meaning perfect and without flaw. He believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And so the young man comes to Jesus with a Messiah-level question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But right from the get-go, there was a problem. And the problem lay with the question itself. What must I do? Why is that a problem? Because it assumes that you're the one in control, that you're the one doing the doing, which is exactly what the young man assumed. Jesus names off some commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And you can almost hear the young man's joy in his response. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done it. I'm a good person, and I've perfectly done everything you just told me to do. So I'm in, right? I mean, I knew I was in. I just wanted it verified. Wanted to hear it straight from you how good I was, how worthy I was of eternal life. The young man had faith in Jesus, but he really had more faith in himself, in his good works, in his own homegrown holiness. And so Mark tells us that Jesus looks at the young man, loving him, and lovingly wallops him upside the head with the two-by-four of God's law. But that's not what this sermon is about right now. Not entirely, at least. In our epistle reading today, from the letter to the Hebrews, the unknown author warns believers against having an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And as an illustration, he goes somewhere to show those unbelieving hearts somewhere a little unexpected to the Israelites who left the slavery of Egypt to wander in the wilderness. Could you imagine yourself being one of them? Could you imagine how amazing that would have been? How very little faith it would have taken to believe in God. And I say that it would take very little faith because you would be seeing God present and active in your life each and every day in very real ways. You've witnessed the ten plagues, the mighty shows of power that God performed in Egypt to secure your release. You've walked across the Red Sea on bone-dry land and seen the waters crash back down to destroy Pharaoh's army that was pursuing you. You are currently being led by a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by night. You have heard the voice of God himself, seen his fire atop Mount Sinai. You are eating miraculous bread from heaven, manna, that appears in the wilderness every single day for 40 years. Your shoes and your clothing have not worn out despite all the walking and traveling you have done. 
Your life is filled with daily miracles. You can literally see the presence of God with your own eyes. You have heard his voice with your own ears. And yet, you doubt. You complain about the food. You gripe that Moses isn't doing things the way that you would. You take God for granted. You yearn for being slaves in Egypt and pretend that those were the good old days. You disbelieve and turn away from God's holy presence and say, meh, there's something better out there for me. Something that can give me more, something that's more thrilling, more my style. More exciting than daily miracles? More your style than catering to your every need and providing for you directly on a daily basis? It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? To see God's presence and his hand of might so active in their lives and yet to disbelieve. We laugh at the Israelites and we say, how could they be so dumb? How could they not see how good they had it? How could they possibly be that close to God and yet turn away in unbelief? It's just moronic, isn't it? So why do we still do it today? No, we're not eating manna that appears on the ground daily. But how many of us are actually wanting for food? No, we're not hearing the thunder and trumpet shouts of God speaking his law from atop a burning mountain, but we have the full counsel of God's word in the Bible so easily accessible to us that we so often ignore completely. All that we have, all the luxuries that we take for granted, all the earthly treasures that fill our lives beyond what we can even store, every one of them comes from our Heavenly Father. God is just as present, just as active, provides us with just as much as he did the Israelites. And yet, people doubt, turn their hearts away, look after false gods. What happened to the Israelites who did this? What happened to those who turned away and said, I don't need this God? Well, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Those who in the presence of God hardened their hearts. Those who saw God's love and might firsthand, but still found a way to turn away, they did not enter into God's rest, the promised land that he was giving to them freely. Instead, they fell along the way, turning from God's grace, becoming just a body in the wilderness, which is a disturbing image in and of itself. You know, with Halloween around the corner, we see lots of skeletons and bodies now, but we know that's all imaginary. But imagine, though, coming across a real body in the wilderness, an actual corpse lying in the open, weathered and rotted. Imagine standing in a wasteland surrounded by such bodies. It's not imaginary anymore. 
It's not just fun spooky. <coughs> That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Now imagine how much more terrifying it gets when you personally know each and every one of those corpses lying there. The writer of the Hebrews says that those who turn away from the faith, those who reject God, they are like the bodies in the wilderness. And while we find that picture a little bit scary, our mind convinces us that they're just faceless, nameless corpses, strangers that we never knew anyway. That's the kind of people that God would keep from his promised land. Those are the rank pagans, the heathens, the unbelievers, just a faceless mob of strangers that we don't really care about. So it's not all that disturbing if they'll die in the wilderness and not enter into heaven. But it's not just strangers. It's not just satanic rock stars and soulless politicians that are the bodies in the wilderness. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we know many of these bodies. How many of you have friends who haven't been to church in years? How many of you have children or grandchildren who just don't have time to come into God's presence? How many of you have loved ones who think Jesus is fine but really don't want him to interfere with their popularity or their debauchery or their finances or their fun? These bodies in the wilderness, the ones with evil, unbelieving hearts leading them to fall away from God, these are our neighbors. These are our co-workers. These are our friends and our relatives. These are our sons and our daughters. Are you all right with that? You shouldn't be. Because it's not just some scary ghost story. Those who don't believe in Jesus Christ those who fall away from God, those who have no time for God's word or twist it around to say whatever it is that they want to hear, they do not enter into God's promised land of heaven. They die in their sin, and they are the rotting bodies in the wilderness. These are not just strangers. These are our friends and our family people that we actually know, that we want to be able to spend eternity with in paradise. So what do we do about it? Well, we open our silent mouths and we speak God's word. We stop pretending that our family members who don't care about church are probably okay. As our reading from Hebrews says, we exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the, by the deceitfulness of sin. We speak the word of God, just like Jesus did. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at the young man with his self-serving, self-centered question, and Jesus loved him. Not by pretending that the guy's self-righteousness was okay. Not by saying, well, at least he believes something. He's probably all right. No, Jesus loves this delusional man who is rapidly becoming a body in the wilderness by shattering his wrong ideas, by annihilating his self-righteousness, by speaking clearly the convicting word of God. He knows that this young man loves his riches, so Jesus says, get rid of them. Cut them off like a hand or a foot that causes you to sin. It hurt. 
But Jesus speaks this in love because he doesn't want the young man to continue in his greed and his sinful delusion. It hurts our children when we tell them that they need to stop living lives of sin. It hurts our friends when we tell them that ignoring church jeopardizes their soul. It hurts our co-workers when we tell them that their Joel Osteen version of Jesus the piggy bank isn't real and it only leads to hell. We, like Jesus, exhort those we love and we warn them of the dangers of sin. We tell them that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself in Scripture. We don't sit back idly and watch them slowly crumble to dust like a body in the wilderness and tell ourselves that we're doing the right thing because it seems polite. We, like Jesus, love people by speaking up. And upon hearing the words of Jesus, the rich man walks away disheartened because what Jesus said was hard. It wasn't what he was expecting or hoping to hear. So, is that the end of his story? That he just couldn't give up his riches and he walks away an unbeliever? We don't exactly know. But we do know that Jesus loved him. So I doubt that that was the end. Because Jesus' love works miracles, even for those bodies in the wilderness. Do you remember Ezekiel and his vision of dim bones in the valley? Surrounded by dusty old dry bones, bodies in the wilderness, Ezekiel was told to speak God's word to them. And what happened? They were made alive. They stood up, a mighty army, made alive by the power of God's word. Just like so many people that have fallen away from the church have been as God's word brings them back. Just like each and every one of us was made alive by God's word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we were dead in our sin. Not injured, not weakened, but dead. We ourselves were desiccated corpses in the wilderness with no hope of walking all the way to God's promised land. Until, that is, God came to us. With the waters of baptism, he put new life within our dry bones. With his word, he breathed breath into us. He nurtured us with his own body and blood. And the sin and death that had slain us, he defeated on the cross and at the empty tomb. His sacrificial love, his grace and mercy, his word of eternal life, it turns the bodies in the wilderness into his everlasting children. He can make the deadest of the dead spirit the one that we assume would never come back to church, would never be interested in hearing God's word, and he can rejuvenate them and bring them back to life. He did it for St. Paul. He did it for Zacchaeus. He did it for each and every one of us. His blood cleanses us of our sin. It gives us life where we have only death. It makes us not just slightly less dead, but fully alive, never to die again. So don't give up. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Speak to your children, no matter how old or stubborn they are. Talk with your friends, no matter how uninterested they tell you they are. Reach out in love to the members of this congregation, no matter how long it's been since you have seen them here. Do not hesitate to speak and live and breathe God's word of eternal life to all those bodies in the wilderness so that they, like you, can be brought to new life in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection is the only way to heaven, and it is given freely to all people. His blood cleanses us of all of our sin and proclaims us holy, innocent, and righteous in the eyes of God, and it is a gift given to all sinners. It opens the gates of heaven for all who believe. Do not just look at that body in the wilderness and assume that it's too late, because with God, all things are possible. He has saved a sinner like you and me. He has suffered and died and rose again to atone for the sins of the world. And he freely offers the gift of eternal life in heaven to all. Speak up. Exhort one another and all your loved ones. And rejoice as you live out the glorious truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, No matter how dead you might be, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.